Hi, and welcome to this episode of I've Got This Kit. I'm your host, Sharina Williams, mom of two, homeschooler, and wife of one. I am here today with the wonderful Tiffany, who is a mom of a gifted kiddo. And she will be here with us, continuing with the Living With series and talking about her experience as a mom of a gifted kid. Tiffany, introduce yourself to the people. Hey, I am Tiffany uh, Blakes, and I am the mother of two, Ellison, who is eight, and Eliana, who is three. And um, yeah, those are my my kiddos. One is has been tested as gifted, and the other, I'm sure, is gifted as well. <laughs> In her own little way. <laughs> when did you find out? And I guess... I guess not when did you find out, but what did you start noticing? Yeah. So, I mean, when Ellison was one going on two, like we discovered that one for one, he had a great memory for two. He loved learning. And for three, not only would he learn, but he would apply what it is that he learned. And this is like, like I said, one going on two. For example, we would like we had ABC puzzles and all sorts of educational puzzles all over. And we would also allow him to watch like educational videos. So ABC videos and and read books around the ABCs. And what we noticed is that like if he was watching a, a movie or a video listing the ABCs or going through the ABCs and phonics, he would like get up and leave the room. And then he would come back like between letters. He would get up, leave the room, come back, get up, leave the room and come back. And it wasn't until later that what we discovered is that for every letter that would pop up, he would leave the room to go to the ABC puzzle, pull the letter and wow. then come back with that letter. And like I said, it was like, between one and like he was really really young doing that and we were like oh wow so he was already making associations between different different educational things right yeah so that was one thing for two like I said he just had a really good memory he was spelling it too he was reading it too um just a lot of amazing things that we were like what is he doing what is going on I mean when he was three either three or four he got really into uh, the world map. And so he would look at the world map and he would find a continent and study the countries on that continent. And Mm -hmm. so it got to the point where we could go to him and say, Ellison, give us, you know, four countries in Africa that starts with the letter M. And he would just rattle them off, Mozambique, you know, just (laughs) or it was crazy. It was like this memory insane what else he uh, and that's something else right so when he gets into something he really 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 gets into it right and he starts producing all stuff around it so he got into the magic treehouse series when he was four i believe maybe five i think he was five and by the end of the year he was writing his own books based Based on that, that basically followed the magic treehouse structure. So he, you know, created a book. It's called Saturday in the Savannah. That's not a magic treehouse book, but it was based on the structure of a magic treehouse. And so now he's like really, really, really into basketball. And so every night he's studying basketball players. He's, you know, coming up with video games that 
that are similar to like NBA 2K, but it's like his own theme right. where he's coming with players that are based on the players, but it's really his own thing. So he's been doing stuff like this for a long time. Wow. That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. <laughs> so, what guys, so what did you guys do? I mean, it doesn't seem like you guys had to do a whole lot because he was just naturally inclined to gravitate towards whatever it was that he was learning and reinterpret it into his own thing how did that work when it was time to put him into like preschool terrible (laughs) (laughs) terrible because you already knew that he's not really going to learn anything he's not going to learn anything academically let me say that because he still struggled socially and so I remember his kindergarten year at meet the teacher night Um, And my mom still says that I came down too hard on the teacher, but it wasn't that I was coming down hard on the teacher. It was that we needed to set expectations. Right. Um, We decided to put Ellison in kindergarten because we knew that even though academically he was on another level, socially, he still needed to. um, Exactly. Um, He had a lot of social skills to learn. And so we were like, well, you know, let's just start him in kindergarten and at meet the teacher night. There was a question. It it was, you know, what are you most concerned about? And I put, I'm most concerned that he's not going to learn anything. He's not going to learn anything academically. And I said, but it's okay because really what we are expecting from this experience is more social skills. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but the teacher just, you know, she was like, no, no, he's going to learn and I'm going to do this and I'm going to journal with him and I'm going to differentiate instruction and I'm going to. And I was like, she, she ain't about to do all that because you have a room <laughs> of 20 other kids. It's so impossible. It's right. She was like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Of course, none of that happened. And on one hand, you're like, I, you know, my kid just just spent a lot of time basically in this room sitting by himself and doing Hmm. worksheets that were like, that was her idea of differentiating education was basically giving him worksheets from another grade level while all the other students sat together and learned what they needed to learn because she really didn't know how to differentiate instruction in a way that was inclusive. But on the other hand, it was like, okay, he did develop socially, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think one thing, that we learn about school is that although there are, you know, there are typically a lot of resources for students who need uh, additional help academically. Right. Um, Say students who are maybe a special education program or students who is just taking longer for them to learn. Like there are all Mm -hmm. sorts of resources there for them. There just aren't as many resources and opportunities for gifted students. Right. And so a big reason why I had you on is because I think that listeners out there are like, well, gifted isn't a special need and gifted, you know, they're ahead of the game and they have, you know, the the parents should be happy. And our gifted learners who are out there, they may not be behind academically, but they still have a special need and their need is to be challenged at their level and to have the resources available to them in order to thrive. You know, it's been at least a good decade or so since schools have really pulled that kind of resource out. And Mm -hmm. I think they're slowly starting to come around in some areas. It honestly just depends on the area. 
But it's important to know that parents of gifted kids are in the same boat as most of you parents out there who have special needs children, except for they're navigating on their own. Like there is, in most most cases, no IDEA plan or a 504 plan helping them out unless they're twice exceptional, which means that they are gifted and they also have a special need to accompany that giftedness. Mm -hmm. So these parents are out here, in most parents, in most cases in the United States, are two parent working households and mm-hmm. it's difficult to navigate making sure that you're not dropping your kiddo off to an educational institution where they might not be getting what they need academically. Mm-hmm. However, like Tiffany has reiterated, socially, they were kind of working on filling in that gap or that's how they use the, the school as an opportunity for Ellison to thrive socially. So I want you guys to be mindful about that. So did things change? How did things Um, go from there? I mean, I think that because I think for Ellison, yes, things changed, right? Mm -hmm. Things changed because as educators, my husband and I made sure that we went and were in the teacher's faces saying, you know, our kid needs more than what you're getting. Um, we also taught him to advocate for himself. And if work was not rigorous enough to either not raise his hand, but go and speak with the teacher privately and say, hey, you know what? This just isn't challenging for me. Is there anything else that I can do? Which is very important to teach your children to advocate for themselves as well. And, you know, I think the more Ellison, you know, like this is his third year in that school. So now everyone recognizes him as, oh, that's the smart kid. You know, that's the gifted kid. That's the this, that's the that. And they recognize us as being the parents who aren't going to let him slip. And so because of that, you know, we've earned a reputation that helps Ellison get what he needs in most situations. For instance, when Ellison was in kindergarten, his librarian initially did not let him read or check out a magic treehouse book because she felt that he wouldn't be able to understand it. It wasn't on his grade level. And so apparently the system that they have at the school is that students in the different grades can only check out books that are a certain reading level. And you can't go above that, which makes absolutely no sense to me because it's like, even if the, if the child can't read it on his own right now, one, he can look at the words and start familiarizing himself with it. Or he may have somebody at home who, who would it love to, to read to him. Absolutely. So and so like these, like it just didn't make sense. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And funny enough, the educators that are around in our community and the people in our community always recommend for parents or older siblings to read above your child's grade level to build up that vocabulary. It didn't make any sense. And so he came home and he was like, well, I tried to check out this book, but she wouldn't let me because she said that I probably wouldn't know how to read it. So again, Babu and I, we got in contact with one of the learning coordinators there that we knew and was like, this is what the librarian did. This doesn't make any sense. Ellison, you know, has been reading since he was two, three years old course, you know, the librarian came back and let him check the book out. But again, if we didn't have those that pulled, if we didn't know how to advocate, if we didn't know to go down right. to the school and basically raise 
you know what, then that may not have been the outcome. So now, of course, everyone recognizes Ellison is gifted. You know, he just won what, like the UIL district spelling championship. You better go ahead. (laughs) So he's like proving himself. So for him, yes, things have changed and they respect him more. But our concern is all of those gifted students who are sitting in the classroom mm-hmm. whose parents may not be as versed at advocating or may not even have the time or the flexibility to go down to a school and advocate. Right. And, uh, and so their child just is sitting there not getting what it is that they need. Right. And funny enough, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I was going to bring that up. You know, the research shows, the studies show that a lot of kiddos who are gifted and may not be recognized in the classroom or by family members, they end up becoming behavioral kids a lot of times because they're not being challenged or they develop poor study habits because Mm -hmm. stuff is so easy for them. They just kind of whisk through it and then become a problem for other classmates and other peers. So that's where the intentionality on the parents part comes. You just have to pay attention, pay attention Mm -hmm. to your child and don't brush off Um, their imagination, their abilities, asking questions. If you Mm -hmm. see them doing things and you're kind of like, hmm, I wouldn't expect you to be able to do that, like nurture that and also collaborate with your educator and see, are you noticing in class that my kiddo is doing X? Do you know Mm -hmm. that, you know, my kid is doing Y? Because Mm -hmm. funny enough, teachers a lot of times, and this is unfortunate, and I'm not saying all teachers, so I don't want to get any emails back. But it's hard for them to pay attention and close attention to 20 plus kids. Mm -hmm. And I had a similar experience with my son, who is now seven. We put him in traditional parochial kindergarten class and we went in knowing like we know he's ahead. We're not sure how much he is ahead, but we see like academically these things that he's doing. And we're just going to kind of nurture that and see where things go. And listen to him because he will advocate for himself. Like he'll tell you (laughs) nothing's a secret. And so a few months into the school year, it was like this homework's boring. I don't want to do it. And I'm in the car with him and it's taking him less than like five minutes to do three homework sheets. And so when parent teacher night came up, they're like, well, he's rushing through his homework. So I don't understand why he's rushing through his homework. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's get on the same page. This kid is bored, right? And so at first they kind of let it fall on deaf ears. But luckily I had a kindergarten teacher who she didn't mess around. So she started paying attention. And by November, she was like, it's time to do testing. She was like, we don't do testing until the end of the year, but we're going to do it now. Come to find out the kid's like a grade level and a half ahead in his reading. They didn't even touch the math, but they were like, well, if his reading is like that, uh, we probably need to be doing something different. And so she did as much as she could. I will give her that. Like she was a sweetheart and she did as much as she could, but I understand what what she had in her class. Mm -hmm. Um, And from a speech and language standpoint, you know, coming in the class for pickup every day and looking on the desk and I'm like, oh yeah, she ain't Right. <laughs> you ain't got time. You know, I mean, that's the reality of that's it. That's the reality. And so from a parent perspective, I did not want to send this kid to school. Yeah. And then he had to come home and do more school with me. Like, I just wasn't going to do it. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do, you know, 10 hours of school for this kid to keep him up. 
if he naturally is getting this stuff, then he'll continue to naturally thrive. And I'll just throw some stuff in there without it feeling like, oh, my gosh, this is more school. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And then we opted to homeschool because they were like, well, your best option is to either skip them yeah. or to just let it ride and all the social stuff. And I'm like, well, this kid gets along with everybody socially. So I'm not necessarily worried about that piece. But uh, if I put him in a second grade class and skip over first, then he's stuck with second grade curriculum. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that either. So that's how yeah. that's how I ended up homeschooling. So oh, got it, got it, got it. No, I ended up in this. A lot of but it's it's been a wonderful journey. And so, you know, my educational coordinator has been wonderful and she recognizes his needs and where he is now. And we've just been doing what we do. Yeah, ideally, you know, we would put him in a school structure that's very similar actually to like his daycare structure. So his daycare consists, it was a home daycare and it was like four kids, five kids. And the instructor was, oh, she was wonderful. Like she, you know, saw his gifts, saw his talents and truly differentiated instruction. So while all of the kids, you know, the majority of the kids were, le- were reading pre-K stuff, Right. She had him reading like like second grade stuff. Right. Because he can handle it. Right. Because he can handle it. She yeah. got him his first dictionary. She got him his first like real book on dinosaurs. Cause for a while he went through this thing on dinosaurs. And I'm not talking about like a picture book on dinosaurs. I mean a real, real book. That sounds like Christian. Dinosaurs and snakes dinosaur. right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so she saw that in him and she pulled resources to nurture that in him. So if like, ideally that is what we would go to if we could find like a little bitty school (laughs) or maybe a homeschool group with like four or five kids. Right. Right. So they, I know in the Bay area, they have a place, but then it becomes an elitist thing. The school, the homeschool group. This is private college tuition for ABCs. Hold on now. So (laughs) I have to be honest, listener. So I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. But it was it was like private school education, even for like some of the drop in programs. And so my husband and I, we put our heads together and I'm like, look, between your mathematics and engineering background. And my literacy, my communication, we got this, we got, (laughs) we're going to make it happen and we'll fill in in between. And so, you know, it's been, I understand, like, it's always changing. Mm -hmm. The needs are always changing. It's always, you know, a constant ebb and flow of what do they need? Am I challenging him enough? Is he rushing through it? Because now, are you rushing through the work? Because I'm smart, I can rush through it. No, <laughs> doesn't yeah. mean that. Mm-hmm. So I understand a hundred percent. But going back to it, like parents, I want to emphasize the power of paying attention and teaching mm-hmm. advocacy to mm-hmm. your child and advocating for your child. Like you're not hurting your teachers, your child's teachers' feelings by coming to them and saying that my child needs more. And you're not creating a disservice to the educational system by asking if they could do more, Mm -hmm. because if they don't understand and recognize the needs of their population, 
it's hard to keep the population there. Like in a sense, we're the taxpayers, we're the customers. Mm-hmm. And so they need to know what our babies need and that, you know, funding needs to be equitable yeah. <laughs> across the board and opportunities need to be equitable across the board. And it's not like, you know, for this population, parents are asking for something that goes above and beyond their role of educator or as educator, because that's the school's role is to educate our kids. Exactly. That's their role. And so being comfortable enough with that advocacy process and just talking to them and having a real adult conversation with them is it's worth it. I'll say that Mm -hmm. it's worth it. Mm-hmm. So this is not something, you know, this is unlike any of the other families who I will be interviewing and talking with, because a lot of times the families that I'll be talking to, they kind of found out at some point, like, this is what's going on with my kiddo. But I, I have to ask, what have been the biggest adjustments for you guys? If we were going to have a gifted child or a child gifted in the way that he is, because I I do think that all kids are gifted. But I think if we were going to have a child that's gifted in the way that he is, like having a first child is good. (laughs) Having him as a first child is good. Um, I think mentally it's allowed us to kind of change the way that we see education. Okay. Uh, In what way? Well, I mean, I think it goes back to what you were saying. Right. Which is education is supposed to. Not just prepare your child to go out into the workforce, but it's supposed to cultivate the the skills and the talents that a child already has. Right. And so if we are, you know, subscribing to kind of this industrial model of education that I grew up in, that you Mm -hmm. probably grew up in. Absolutely. That's not going to work for all children. I think it's made both my husband and I verbal, um, more verbal, just about, you know, advocating not just for students who have, you know, traditionally, you know, special needs, but students who are gifted, who have a different set of special needs. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think we think daily about adjustments that we need to make. Um, We think a lot about, like, is this the right setting for him. Um, If we were to move him to, say, a private school, for instance, we were looking at a private school to move him to, but demographically, he probably would have been the only student of color or the only child of, definitely the only black child. Do we want to sacrifice him being around other students who look like him in order to do that? Polarizing him. Exactly. And if we eventually go to to that sort of model, like, is this the time for for that to happen? Or should he kind of be, you know, founded in kind of a sense of identity because he'd been able to identify with other students who look like him and other teachers that look like him. Right. And then move on to something to where if he's the only black child in a in a room, he's already developed that self-understanding and identity. Exactly. Right. That's a hard one. More than anything. Yeah, it's it's just made us think about a lot. It does. And I think all of our parents who have children in this situation, whether they're typically developing or atypically developing, like we ask ourselves these questions. It, it has nothing to do with bigotry. It just has to mm-hmm. do with the 
child being able to identify with people and finding a sense of self, like you said, in an environment to where they aren't raised up or trained up to see only what the news says about people that look like them Mm -hmm. or other areas um, maybe that would that would make them think that they're only limited to certain things in life mm-hmm. um, versus seeing educators that look like them. By the way, his mom is Tiffany is super educated. She has her doctorate. So <laughs> he sees a good model every day. But <laughs> well, but I mean, but the thing is, but he sees me as mommy, you know, he doesn't I know. And, and that's Blake. not the same. <laughs> Mommies are not cool. Like moms get no street cred. Like your mommy. <laughs> It means nothing. It, it's worth pennies. And right. Right. it's worth pennies. Oh, my God. That's funny. <laughs> it's, but it's so true. It's true. It is so true. He doesn't see me like that. Shoot. If he takes my advice, it's like a good day. That's OK. You did what I asked you to do first time. What? Hey, no question. It's a good day. <laughs> So we've covered academics. What do you think socially? How has his social skills been? Um, I mean, you got this kiddo. He's been doing amazing things academically from a very like since he's been breathing, he's been taking it in and just going with it. How do his peers perceive him and how does he perceive his peers? Like, how does he fit into his social world at school? Yeah, I mean, I think that he's grown a lot these past couple of years. I can say kindergarten was pretty rough for him um, only because, again, like socially, he needed development. He had a lot of fear of other students growing up. Kids can be unkind to to other kids, and he didn't really know how to handle that. Like if someone called him a name, he would run off crying, which would make them call him more names. Because <laughs> <laughs> now you're crying, baby. Like, OK, you need to learn how to like handle yourself in these social situations. Right. And now he's doing like I said, he's doing a lot better. I think he still gets nervous, but he's learning how to cope with it. And he's learning how to just get past stuff, right. you know, which is a good thing, which is part of the reason why we wanted him in a diverse community that he is in right now. I think other kids recognize his brilliance, for lack of a better word, or giftedness um, academically. And while some kids respect that and gravitate to him, other kids hate, just for lack of a better word. (laughs) Like I remember he came home once and was like, you know, such and such told me that I'm not that smart. And, you know, I know that blah, 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 blah. Um, And I was like, boy, you know, you're going to get that a lot. So you need to get used to it. Um, And again, it goes back to him really, you know, understanding himself, having a strong self-identity, having a strong self-awareness and knowing even if you get that, this is who you are. So you can't even take that in. Now, the way that he relates to other people um, at one point, I think he got a little cocky, <laughs> which is why I think they were saying you ain't all that. Because at one point, I think he was bragging about it. And no. He was like, well, I'm not trying to brag. I was just telling them what happened. And I was like, well, you know, it's you braggy. Gotta... <laughs> oh, they thought that they would need to like take you down a notch, you know? 
So it's just so many factors and it's just so many dynamics working in that space. But I think that he learned something new every day, something new about an interaction, something new about himself. And so I think that's all you can really ask for. Right. And that's typical social development. Like mm-hmm. one peer is going to say something. The other peer is going to say something else. And you're either going to roll with it, believe right. what they say, or kind of let it be like oil and water and let it just kind of exactly. separate and know that that has nothing to do with you and who you are. Yeah. So I think that he's in a great place with you guys as far as like continually just affirming him Mm -hmm. and I think all kids need that affirmation no matter whether they're gifted or not like you need that affirmation to know that this is who you are and this world is going to throw a lot of things at you that is not necessarily true and you're either going to believe it or not believe it but it's it's up to you what you accept Mm -hmm. and just go with that Mm -hmm. just go with it I think something else that I would encourage parents to do is to like Find those teachers that can also speak life and positivity into their yeah. child, yeah. because all teachers are not created equally, you know. And so mm-hmm. while in one classroom, um, a teacher may be, you know, treating him a certain way or not recognizing him in a certain way, there, there may be other teachers on his grade level that would do it. True. You know, so I think that I just wanted to plug that while I was thinking about it. I think that goes back to the whole advocacy piece that you talk about, not just students advocating for themselves, but us going down and, you know, making sure that the teacher and the classroom is even the right fit for the student. Definitely. And I'm all for like finding a fit school and a Mm -hmm. fit teacher for Mm -hmm. your kiddo, because a school can be amazing with great reviews on paper. But if it's not a great fit for the type of learner your child is or the type of setting that your child needs, then it may not be a good fit for your your kid. And that doesn't make it not a great school. It just may not be great for the kind of kiddo that you have. And just being comfortable with that, like we don't have to do everything as parents that everybody else does. Like we have to do what's best for our little one to get them prepared for the real world. And so putting them in a setting for you know years that's not a good fit for them it's not helping them even if the school does have a great grade or you know their what do they call them I believe their API scores are high or what so have you like it's not helpful if your kiddo is not getting what they need um and so that cannot be emphasized enough like knowing not only is it a good school is it a good school for my family for my kiddo for their needs um and will it get them to where they need to go? And will this administration will this administration help to get them to where they need to go? And do we have a vision that's at least kind of on the same right. <laughs> on the same path to where at least we can agree on most things and mm-hmm. not disagree on most things? Right. It's, <laughs> it's serious business. Like being a parent really is. is a full-time job and schooling is like a part-time full-time job and it's not so when I was teaching in LA uh, I I called the parent because the student was not behaving and um, girl I called that parent and she came up and she was like look like she said a little something to her child but she said more to me and the one (laughs) thing that I remember her saying to me was look 
between the hours of eight and three, he's yours. <laughs> and after three, he's mine. <laughs> so in other words, you know, you need to take care of him, handle him in whatever way you think is, is best. And when I pick him up at three o'clock, then I got him. Parents, please don't do like, that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. That ain't it. That's not it. <laughs> so yeah, so that that's not the way to go. <laughs> please don't do that. That is not what you want to do. You have to, you know, get in there and advocate full time. I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of parents assume the best for right. the for the school, which is great. Like you don't want to be negative. World. Right. Right. But at the same time, you don't necessarily want to go in assuming that they have your specific child's best interest at heart. Right. And that you can just leave the child and trust that the child is going to get what they need because, hey, it's the school. There's, right. They know what they're doing. They're the educators. Right. But that's that's not how it, that's just not how it works. Right. And that's the power of knowing your child from an early age. And being a part of understanding who they are, which is why I continue to challenge you guys five to seven minutes a day for you people who've got toddlers out there. You should be doing at least five to seven minutes of playtime minimum just so you will know your child. So when they are in that school setting, you are able to be a collaborator. Right. With the educator, you want to be able to go into that uh, school meeting and say, hey, this is where my child is. This is the areas that I know, like they are a rock star. And mm-hmm. these are the areas that I see. How can you help me support them? And how can we continue to move them along? You go into a classroom with that conversation and your teacher is your child's teacher is on board with that. For one, they're going to think you're a rock star. Right. Most teachers are going to think you're a rock star. Right. And if they don't, then it might be time to ask, can my child? <laughs> <laughs> Look at choices because you really do want to be in that situation to where you're able to collaborate and know your child. Collaborate. I can't emphasize enough. Know your child. Collaborate. Collaborate. And know your child. To know you. They Those administrators to. and teachers need to know you because Absolutely. what you put out is what you're going to get. And so if you're not putting anything out, you're probably not going to get much if they don't know you, if they don't know, you know, oh, that's such and such as mom and she don't play or dad and he don't play. Right. So we got to get this student. We got to make sure we do right by this student. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm telling you, parents, teachers talk, administrators mm-hmm. talk. They know who the, the parents are who are active. And that may not mean that you can get out there and volunteer in your child's class once a week, but it just means shoot them an email. Exactly. Send an email. Mm-hmm. Email works 24 hours a day. So there's honestly, yeah. in this day and age with technology, there's no reason to not be present in some way, shape, form or fashion, ensuring that you're a little sugar. And now at this point, your big sugar who no longer smells like cute cookies smells like kid is getting the stuff that they need and you're giving it to them. It's important. Mm-hmm. It's important. What are some myths that you think are out there about gifted students that you want to debunk as a parent? Um, that they know everything. And that they know how to do everything and that they can just get it and that they have an easier time than other kids. Because even if they pick up something a little quicker, there's still a lot of stuff that they just don't know and that they need guidance 
on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, because even when I think about Ellison and his journey, he, because he's used to having everything so easily, like because he he's used to knowing a lot, right? Because mm-hmm. he's used to knowing a lot and it comes a little quicker than maybe another student, he gets used to that. And so when it's something that he doesn't know how to do, like it's the most frustrating thing for him. And so he'll have tantrums. He'll close the book. He won't want to work. He doesn't know how to normalize mistakes. He doesn't know how to normalize failure. Right. You know, and so all of these things present themselves um, in his behavior. And so those are things that we're constantly trying to work with him on is, you know, you need to learn tenacity. You need to learn persistence. You need to learn right. grit because everything's not going to come to you easily. So, yeah, I mean, gifted students just don't have it easy. It's not like a walk in the park. There are still things that they're dealing with as well as right. any other student. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. That's well said. I deal with the same thing with both kids. <laughs> it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun stuff. Mm-hmm. I've learned. I walk and away. And I would also say that, you know, just as it relates to attention, like they have to fight to receive attention in the classroom. Because again, right. the myth is that they don't need anything. They got it. And so when, you know, they need help, when they need attention, they, they you know, um, often don't get it because the teacher is spending more time on students who have academic needs, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and that's done for a number of different reasons. And one of the main ones is because, you know, it's this emphasis on testing and it's an emphasis of students doing well on Mm -hmm. those tests Mm -hmm. as indicating, you know, how well that school is or how well that teacher is. And Mm -hmm. so teachers feel pressure to make sure that the low performing students can pass that test and do well. And so that is another reason why the gifted students don't always get the attention is because as it relates to the test, they got the test. You know, they could Ellison could probably take a fifth grade star right now and stars the state testing here in Texas Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. do well. He could definitely pass it even if he doesn't do well on it. And so, you know, when you're dealing with that kind of dynamic where teachers and other students feel pressure to make sure that their classroom is looking good, the gifted students can be marginalized and pushed off to the side. Definitely. Definitely. I can see that. Mm -hmm. I saw it in the classroom myself. Mm -hmm. They got it. And that's not true. Exactly. That's not not always true. True. Yeah. Right. And even if they do have it, that doesn't mean they don't have a right to be challenged. Exactly. And to get more out of it. And to be taught. I mean, Ellison, like I said, in kindergarten, he would often spend a lot of time by himself working on papers, excuse me, and worksheets that were of a higher grade level. But there were a couple of times that he came home with like doing, you know, multiplying decimals or something insane (laughs) and he didn't know how to do it. And we were like, and he was frustrated. He was at one point he was crying because he was like, I don't know how to do this. And we were like, did your teacher show you how to do it? And he was like, no, she didn't instruct me. She just gave me these papers for me to do. Right. And it's like, 
Mm, that's doing a dis- that's not only doing a disservice to him, that's doing harm. Because Absolutely. now you've given him something that he feels like he's supposed to know, but nobody ever showed him how to do it. No comment. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. So gifted students just don't have it easy. Absolutely. They got to fight for their space as well. Absolutely. So what would be some tips that you would give to parents out there who may be dealing with a gifted kiddo as well? What would be your tips? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we've covered quite a few that come to my mind, like immediately. One would be, you know, as it relates to their schooling, of course, to advocate on their behalf. Don't let the school do your child a disservice by just kind of not giving him the proper education and attention that he needs. Um, I would say give the child space to discover themselves. And what I mean by that is often we put a lot of pressure on our kids. Mm-hmm. And I think if the kids feel that even more because mm-hmm. they feel like they always have to perform, they feel like they always have to be right so mm-hmm. that we can be like, oh my God, this is my gifted kid. He's so smart. He's so this, he's so that. Mm-hmm. And I that's think- a big myth too, is thinking that, I guess debunking for that gifted kid. I'm sorry to interrupt debunking Mm -hmm. for that gifted kid that they feel like they always have to be right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I deal with that with both kiddos to where if they're not right, it is mayhem in the city. Mm -hmm. And so I have to go and use my own tools. Like I have to walk away respectfully. And I'll tell them like, look, I'm walking away. And when you're ready, we can work Mm -hmm. through this as a team. But as long as you're in your emotions, I can't help Mm -hmm. you. Like you're not even listening to me. I know you're not listening. So when you pull it together, then we'll regroup and we'll look at it. We'll look at this from a practical standpoint, just because I don't want to become an emotional mess either while they're emotional. Well, you need to pull it together. Well, no, they need their time. Just like when you're upset, you need your time. time And you need your space. Exactly. And so I think just helping validate for them that you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to know everything. Exactly. But the areas that you're doing great in keep shining. The areas that you need support in, we're here for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say in addition to that, like don't tie your praise for the student based on them always getting it right. Right. Like you need to find other things to praise your students on, not Mm -hmm. just, you know, him being gifted, not just, you know, him or her being brilliant or what have you, but like, you just have to find other ways to praise him because if not, he's going to feel like he has to live up to a certain standard in order to meet our expectations. Right. And that's not true. So, I mean, we praise mistakes. (laughs) Right. Right. For example, like he plays the piano. Once he gets a song, he's really good. Because like I said, his memory is just crazy. Mm -hmm. But when he's trying to learn the song, he has several mistakes, several blunders, several. And every time he's like, "Eh, I don't know how to do this. This is terrible. (laughs) And so at one point I was like, look, I want mistakes. Right. I was like, give me 10 mistakes. 
And I, I'll right. just love it. Like, I need 10 mistakes right now. <laughs> right. And so right. it helps to remove the pressure of thinking that he always has to be perfect and that he mm-hmm. always has to be right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I want to see mistakes. Like, I want to see you fail even. Like, failure right. is not a bad word. Not at all. Because what you do after you fail is let's work it out. Let's see what could be better. And let's move forward. And that teaches them grit, that teaches them tenacity, that lets them know, you know, I'm not just your mom when you're this brilliant, gifted kid. Like, I love Mm -hmm. you no matter what you do. Right. Words spoken from a genius. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Anything else you want to add? Right now, like, like you just want to value your kid. No matter what stage, what age, where they are, just like show them that they are brilliant, show them that they are gifted. I mean, and that's something else that I would encourage parents to do, especially if you have more than one kid, is not place all of your attention on that gifted kid. Right. Find out what your other kids gifts are and Mm -hmm. promote that as well Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't seem like there's some sort of competition going on, because, again, I think that students are gifted kids are, diff- are gifted in different ways. And right. so while one's gift may be um, academics, another may be music, another may be communication. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. I think just in general, it's about discovering what those gifts are, recognizing them, not blowing them off, but saying, man, you know, she's really funny. <laughs> just natural. Right. Right. You know? um, how can I cultivate that and what can I do with that? Right. Agreed. Tiffany, you're wonderful. Thank you so much, fun, Shereen. Oh, my goodness. Wasn't it a blast? (laughs) (laughs) Listeners out there, isn't she amazing? (laughs) (laughs) This was nothing but fun. Thank you so much for taking out the time, for coming in and just talking about your amazing little guy. We didn't get a chance to talk about little Ellie. But that's okay, because I think we're going to work it out to where we've focused on gifted boys. And I think that there's space for us to talk about gifted girls, because that plays out completely differently. (laughs) I've learned. Right. And I'm learning. Yes, it plays out completely differently with our little girls than it does um, for our little boys. So listeners, there may be a part two. I would stay tuned for that. If you guys have any questions, you feel free to reach out to me at questions at I've got this kid.com. Until we meet again, y'all take care. <laughs>